Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Welcome to the Independent Women's Forum podcast. Uh, Welcome to all of our listeners today. We have a special treat. We're going to be talking about technology and the way it's making our lives as women and the lives of our families much better by saving us time and effort and allowing us to do the things that we couldn't do before. So we wanted to discuss this with a knowledgeable person from the technology industry, you know, how the rapid pace of the Internet uh, through connected products is really uh, developing. So our guest today is Elizabeth Rojas-Levy, and she is the Director of Public Affairs and Government Relations at Nokia Corporation. Nokia is about more than cell phones, and they're thinking about connectivity and how the Internet is connecting us to each other and the products in our daily lives. So, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining our podcast. You're welcome. Of course, Patrice, and thank you and to IWF for hosting me today and letting me geek out a little bit about this fascinating topic, Uh, but also to bring up the importance of technology and uh, the huge implications it has for women's economic empowerment. Um, I think before we get started, I would like to introduce very quickly the new Nokia Um, As you know, we've been around for 150 years, and the company has changed a ton, like you mentioned, from mobile phone uh, manufacturing into an innovation powerhouse. And currently, we are very, very focused on being the critical infrastructure enablers for the Internet of Things. So uh, in this 150 years of history, we have gone through a lot of acquisitions from Motorola to Siemens. And recently, uh, with Alcatel Lucent, uh, to finally end up with an end-to-end portfolio where we provide all of the B2B, so the business-to-business infrastructure from wireless and broadband to fixed networks to IP routing, and then also to um, bringing consumers with digital healthcare solutions, digital media, virtual reality, and other uh, fascinating uh, technologies. So um, when you think of Nokia, think of us, you know, the highways, the highways are to cars. Think of Nokia as the highways to connectivity. Uh, it's kind of how we are working today. And lastly, uh, a fun fact, I think, is that Bell Labs is part of Nokia today. So they're our uh, R&D arm here in the U.S. Wow. Thank you so much for that intro, um, Elizabeth. I think that I love the... The imagery Nokia is to uh, to connectivity the way uh, uh, like it, it gets us connected to the internet. Um, so thank you for that. And so let's dive right in. You, you kind of left off talking about the Internet of Things or IoT, as it's, it's kind of known as. This sounds really techy. So I would love for you to break down for us those of us who don't live in Silicon Valley. You know what is the Internet of Things? Yeah, and actually it's funny because when I joined the tech sector, I also didn't come from a technology background. And I remember hearing everybody speaking about IoT, IoT, and I just couldn't figure it out myself. So uh, uh-huh. now that I've spent a couple of years working for Nokia, I finally got it right. But really, the Internet of Things is a word that's evolving. Uh, but think about it as the digital transformation for both consumers and businesses. 
I think traditionally the way that Internet of Things is posed to the public is like through automation of um, of companies, manufacturing. I think a lot of people think of industrial Internet. But really what it is is massive connectivity. So um, Michael Chewy from McKinsey, he has written a lot about IoT and he's one of my favorite authors. And he, he essentially said to think about the physical world itself becoming a type of information system. So, for instance, you will have, you know, cars with sensors. Um, you will have humans wearing healthcare sensors and so forth. And all of these sensors are kind of creating a digital footprint. And it measures uh, everything from productivity to um, how the impact we have on the environment, et cetera. So all in all, is essentially is ultra connectivity is what Internet of Things. And it's the fabric to the digital economy, uh, which it's the fourth industrial revolution that we're all living today. Um, I think I'll give you some examples that relate to women. Uh, since I'm a woman myself in the workforce. So when you think, I think digital healthcare is one of the most revolutionary examples of IoT uh, because it really impacts our day-to-day. So, you know, women tend to be the caretakers of the household, even today, uh, disproportionately, a lot of that workload is put in our shoulders. So taking care of our children, taking care of our partners, taking care of our parents, you know, these technologies can really, really impact us by giving us more time back. So a really good example is chronic disease management. So for instance, uh, diabetes. So if you have a child with diabetes, you can prevent a lot of emergency visits by monitoring their um, their glucose levels, uh, the food that they're eating, the carbs that they're consuming or sugar and so forth. And they can prevent, like I said earlier, having to have an episode of running to an emergency room or, or you know, if you're a, a woman in the workforce and you're in the middle of the day, you can control and see how your child is doing. Uh, obesity, also hypertension, all of those chronic uh, diseases can be managed better by ourselves instead of, you know, others. And, uh, in, and it gives women more time back. Another really cool example is, you know, general well-being. Women are actually disproportionately impacted by chronic fatigue. And through a lot of these health devices, they can manage the amount of hours, but not also the amount of hours that they've slept, but also when have they entered deep sleep and what hours during your night's sleep uh, you've been interrupted on your sleep. So a lot of these these uh, devices are are very helpful for women. Um, the same on pregnancy, elder care, remote patient monitoring, and so forth. So those are the digital healthcare examples that I, I truly think are fascinating. Uh, then, one that is more simple for women in the workforce to visualize is think about working from home. Today we can join a webinar uh, instead of traveling across. You know all the way from the DC to Europe, for instance, in my example, in my, in my personal case, I can just join a webinar and do any type of presentation or update to our senior, uh, our senior management. And that gives me more time 
if I have a family, it gives me more time to spend with them. And it just really removes a lot of barriers to, uh, to leadership for women in the workforce. And Accenture has a very, very interesting uh, study on this. It's called the Digital Fluency Study and how women leveraging technologies inside of companies can actually help them rise to leadership positions and closing the gender gap in management. And lastly, not to bore you guys, yeah, (laughs) entrepreneurship. Seriously, like think about mobile banking. Think about how easy it is for me to send a a payment through Venmo or PayPal across the world. And really a lot of uh, small business owners relate to this because they really can internationalize some of the products that they have and not just be in their local community, but take that product outside of their community and just simply use mobile banking to, you know, exchange these items. So lots of examples uh, out there. And I think as these technologies take off, we will end up on a very uh, large ecosystem that, that will really help uh, women in the workforce, women in their, with their families, and women overall. Wow, that that is awesome. I mean, I think the examples that you gave us, there are things, the Internet of Things, is it's on our smartphones, it's in our homes, mm-hmm. um, it's the way we're tracking how we're living healthy, how we're managing uh, it, chronic illness, how we're, you know, uh, conducting business. I, I think that's really amazing. Uh, when you when you kind of look out over the next 10, 20 years, you know what what are you seeing on the horizon in terms of smart tech? Greater stuff in in terms of the healthcare space, or there other spaces and industries that you see the Internet of Things really taking off in? Yeah. So um, what I really expect and what I really foresee is the complete digitalization of industries. And, and I want to stress this out. Someone was correcting me the other day, and I said, no, the real word is digitalization, not digitization, because digitalization is a complete transformation of all the industries into digital. Um, and so you will have impacts in transportation, for example, with autonomous vehicles. Uh, there's very, you know, very solid timeline to deploy some of these technologies also with digital healthcare, as I mentioned earlier, you have the digital smart devices for the consumer and the patient to control their own health. Um, but really, at the end of the day, you're going to have doctors conducting uh, surgery. If you're trying to reach a rural area, they can do it from any city if they have the right connectivity. And we'll get into it with 5G later on in the discussion. But Really, what I what I think in the next 10 years is that we're really going to have, you know, more time back into our hands, more productivity, uh, much more balance. Uh, but also, we will enter a time where, you know, you put your fingerprint to enter your home and you can measure the, the air conditioning or the pollution, for instance, in China is a big issue. Uh, pollution rates are affecting your city or when are they affecting your city? all in real time, all of out of one device and, uh, you know, at very high speeds of connectivity. Wow. I, it, this reminds me of the um, cartoon, The Jetsons, from like the 60s, or I saw it in reruns in the 80s. But this is the kind of tech connectivity and technology you're talking about. So, so there's a lot of upside here. Um, in terms of more time, more balance, um, more uh, access to data in real time. 
What What are some of the challenges, though, um, that that um, the Internet of Things are really posing? And I'd love for you to kind of focus on um, privacy and kind of workforce issues if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as anything else in this world, you have your pros and your cons. And I think some of the challenges that the industry is facing is, well, first of all, multi-stakeholder approach, right? You have so many cooks in the kitchen today. Even, for instance, if you take the the healthcare space, you're going to have uh, IT sector, you're going to have the connectivity piece like we do, you're going to have the hospitals, you're going to have doctors. So you have a lot of people involved in looking for a solution to, to digitalizing one sector. And, and when you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen, that's great because you have collaboration and you have exchange of, of brilliant ideas, but also, you know, the designation of roles. So when it comes to security and you have an autonomous vehicle and that autonomous vehicle had a car, a car crash, then, you know, who's responsible. So these are kind of the questions that I, we don't have an answer yet that I think as innovation, as you may know, you cannot control innovation that happens and evolves quickly and government cannot, you know, uh, create a regulation for something that doesn't exist yet. But I think that as innovation evolves and, and all of these things, you know, are evolving, uh, we will have to find a very balanced regulatory approach to protect the consumer because technologies are driven for consumers, but also we got to protect consumers, you know, if there are security or privacy issues um, and so forth. So um, security is pretty big, uh, you know, as critical infrastructure providers that we are, we take this very seriously. We try to uh, contemplate, we work on, on having security by design in our products, but, you know, you also have security at the consumer end of any device. So that's a huge question to solve. Uh, then you also have privacy. This is, this is so big with privacy. Um, like I said, we want to protect the consumers as a company and government wants to protect the consumer, I hope. But for, uh, an example I was reading the other day on, on Wall Street Journal and, and it made me realize this question about privacy was, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Telegram. It's, um, it's an application, you know, like a text messaging application such as uh, WhatsApp, but their encryption levels are really, really, really high. So people often feel safer in using Telegram because of their encryption capabilities. But the government of Indonesia actually almost banned Telegram from Indonesia because a lot of, for instance, terrorist groups were conducting uh-huh. business over Telegram. Yeah, it's like crazy. And so it's interesting the case where your consumer is so protected from privacy attacks that actually it can lead to the bad guys doing bad stuff. Uh, and obviously, the CEO was completely, you know, collaborating with the government to make sure, you know, they shut these down. But this is an example where, and I was, I had a discussion about this at the UN last week. Uh, you know, we're all about human rights and protecting, protecting people, protecting the consumer. Again, these these technologies are driven for and by people, but there are instances where, you know, the bad people are going to do bad stuff with with this technology. So. To answer your question, there are a lot of challenges and we're working, we're working very hard to make sure that as innovation evolves, um, these things don't hurt, 
hurt consumers that really benefit them. That's, that's really helpful. And I think um, the more privacy continues to come up as an issue versus, or, or maybe I shouldn't position it against, but, you know, in, in light of security and um, of national security, I mean, and of, of terrorism, that's always going to be a tension that I think technology will have mm-hmm. to figure out. Um, you know, one of the other challenges, too, we're hearing a lot about it is just even in the workforce with automation, what that means for, for jobs and people. Um, if it's faster and easier and, and over the long term cheaper for um, a, a, a robot to do a job that someone else has done, you know, it saves consumers money. Uh, but unfortunately, that means that somebody's going to lose their job. So, you know, I think, and, and I'm sure you're seeing, um, especially in the retail industry, kind of the, yeah. the challenges that, uh, that, that, you know, are going to be coming down the line. But, you know, when we think about connectivity, I'd love to, to, to figure out how connected are we? I mean, we see these advertisements of maps and you see dots of where uh, people have uh, coverage. Um, but, you know, are, is every American really connected? And, and what is the next level of connectivity? I think everybody's talking about 3G, but I'm hearing there's like 5G on the horizon. So, so help us understand, like, what is the connectivity level? Yeah, absolutely. And before I move into that question, just I want to address very quickly the skills question. I think it's very relevant and very true. And I think really here governments have a huge role to collaborate with the private sector Mm. to upgrade the skill set of the workforce. Because you're right, um, there's robotics, there's artificial intelligence. And I don't think the jobs are going to disappear because at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. someone has to manage all of this. I think that the answer is that we need to upgrade the skill sets of our workforce so that they're current. You know, like any industrial revolution has deep changes in the workforce, but that's why we need to stay ahead and train our people and provide them with these skills. And these skills can be STEM degrees. Yes, I agree. But also there are other types of skill sets. You know, if you have a smart Smart manufacturing doesn't mean that the, the plant is going to run itself. Someone has to run it. It just means that we're going to have to have different types of skill sets for, uh, for the workforce. Um, but anyway, back to your uh, question, um, which is connectivity. So, yeah, it's interesting because there's, there's a definition for what really broadband connectivity means, right? So the FCC upgraded this uh, definition recently. And so the key here is who has access to 25 uh, megabits per second? Uh, And and the answer is that 10% of all Americans, which is about 34 million people, still still lack the access uh, of this type of connectivity. And and why is this, this... measurements are important well because you have the you have the unconnected right so you have seven about seven billion people in the world four billion people are completely unconnected meaning they don't have any access whatsoever but then you have the the what we call the underserved which is they kind of have some sort of connectivity if you remember like the dialogue internet and back in the day (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) Some people still have that connectivity. And so those are called the underserved. So you have in the U.S. the definition of unserved and, and underserved. And like I mentioned, um, 10% of all Americans are, are underserved. And in rural America, where the 
big challenge is you have 39% of, of rural Americans do not even have access to these 25 megabits per second of connectivity. So this is a huge challenge because you have demand issues. So you don't have enough people for private sector to come in, but also you have topography issues. So you have like upstate New York has major issues and, you know, Chairman Pai has been working with um, Governor Cuomo currently trying to bring uh, connectivity to all because upstate New York is completely underserved. And of course, if you are in New York City, you have ultra connectivity and you have patches like you have holes of even 4G today uh, throughout the United States. So yes, we're not fully connected and wireless can be the answer in certain geographies. And in other geographies, you're going to need just fixed access. Uh, and then obviously fiber to the home is incredibly important, especially as we mentioned IOT, a lot of these technologies, these ecosystems won't take off if you don't have fast speed internet mm -hmm. connectivity. And your last point there really um, gives us context to why connectivity is so important. I mean, if you think about kids sitting, sitting down to do their homework today, I mean, you, mm -hmm. you don't go to the library to do research. You sit down and you Google. That's probably where everybody starts. But if you don't have, if, if your only uh, connected device is your smartphone, imagine trying to write a, a five-page paper um, by just using your cell phone to do that because your house isn't connected or you or the the um, the Wi-Fi is is so weak that you're not really able to tap into it. So it puts, I think it puts a lot of American households and families you know, at a disadvantage. And, and I'm, I'm mm -hmm. really glad that you mentioned that the um, chairman uh, uh, Ajit Pai um, for the FCC is really making expanding internet access to all of America a, a, a huge lift for government. Um, I want to kind of bring, yeah. bring the airplane home, just talking about that role of government. You kind of hit on it in a couple of, a couple of areas when it comes to government's role. You know, what, what do you generally see as, as the right level of government enforcement or government um, intervention in, in the development of technology? Yeah, so, um, you know, <laughs> I really think that when it comes to innovation and technology, it moves so fast, like as I mentioned earlier, that, you know, it's very hard for the government to start creating regulations or to enact legislation that will, you know, hinder the development of technology. I think it's traditionally in American history, and I think that's why we've been so ahead of technology and most technology created here at home. It's because, you know, when government partners with the private sector is to provide incentives, so tax incentives, or, or R&D grants and, you know, even the creation of the Internet. The Internet was created, you know, was built in, with the U.S. government in collaboration with the private sector. So um, the point is, is that the government should stay away and should not intervene in innovations that are not yet built. However, with that in mind, we mentioned earlier privacy and security. You know, these are things that, of course, the government should you know, take into consideration as everything gets uh, digitalized. Um, but one concrete example I want to bring up in, especially we touched upon 5G a little bit, but when it comes to 5G and the deployment of this next generation network, and to explain a little, to bring it back a little bit so, you know, people on the podcast can understand, because uh, 5G is also a difficult uh, 
concept to understand, but 5G being the next generation of a network, think about of a table and putting an elephant on top of the table. It's just like the table's going to break if it's not strong enough to, you know, hold an elephant. So right now, consumers are using so much data, you know, more than, than voice uh, has, has been used, that they're pulling a lot of weight on top of this table, which is the network. And so 5G will bring uh, speed and capacity um, and latency to be able to respond to all of this data consumption, which is obviously driven by what we discussed earlier, which is the Internet of Things. So a concrete example from, you know, uh, government and regulation is the the biggest problem we have at the moment is called uh, infrastructure siting reform. And we've been working on this with various states. And recently, for instance, my home state of Florida, uh, the governor signed a, a legislation that would allow for the faster deployment of small cells. Small cells are part of the 5G connectivity solution. They're small boxes that you can easily deploy and kind of maximize your signal and, and, and um, your access to, to connectivity. And so, for instance, like if you have... Um, a stadium and you have like a million people trying to use the internet in your phone, it's going to like that connectivity is going to go down. So if you have small cells inside, it's easier to maximize the signal that you already have. So for rural connectivity, this is something that we really advocate for because small cells can maximize the, the, the signal or the wireless connectivity that's coming from, you know, a center that is, with higher uh, population and connectivity. So small cells in different cities and in different states, um, there's a lot of burdensome, uh, it's like really hard to get a license to get a small cell deployed. So you have to do a ton of paperwork. It takes forever to get approved. You have to pay like a thousand uh, fees to get these little boxes deployed. And really, you know, the government shouldn't be on the way for deploying connectivity, especially for like we had a hearing on this, like small cells are quite small and you can hide them very well. Like Chicago, like has like this art competitions where the children paint the small cells so you won't even see them in, in the city. So the point is that we're working on infrastructure siting reform. Uh, we want to accelerate the process to deploy small cells because they're the, they're part of the solution for 5G deployment. And obviously, taxation is another big issue. Um, interest deductibility, it's a, a big issue and something we advocate for because obviously these technologies require a lot of hard capital to be deployed. And, um, and interest deductibility from these deployments really helps, uh, really helps with, uh, with our, the deployment of our technology. Great. So, uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think um, you know it's it, it's great that you provided that 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 context to why you know government overregulation um, can hinder what's really a good thing. I can imagine when people are at their local fair, everybody's taking selfies and posting to Instagram. That is a lot of data, and if if um, if it's weighing down the network, you want to have something like these small these small cells, it sounds like, which could really um, expand access and allow everybody to share their data and get their Instagram photos up as quickly as possible or share it on Facebook and let their families enjoy it. Um, You know, I think 
to kind of wrap up what we're discussing here, um, Elizabeth, you hit some really great points about technology, which is that it's going to make give us back more time, give us more balance in our lives, you know, expand the information that we can have to make informed decisions, um, whether that's about our bodies, our excuse me, our health, um, what's going on, our, our security, our homes, um, and then, but also just kind of our lives and. There are some challenges, it sounds like, um, from, the, from both the government side, but also from privacy side and, and from the, the workforce side. But the upside of technology is huge. I think that's really, really great. And so there's some ways that folks that, um, that you know, we need to kind of educate our lawmakers about, about mm-hmm. regulations um, so that they can uh, kind of catch up to where technology is going. Um, so, Elizabeth, you have been fantastic. Uh, you are so knowledgeable, and you gave us some really good concrete examples. Hopefully, we'll be able to have you back to have some more discussions about different um, issues coming up in the tech field. But is there anything you want to close with before we um, say goodbye to our, our listeners? Yeah, well, thank you again so much for having me. This is a topic I, you know, I, I really like, I really enjoy. I think some final remarks would be, you know, you have to look, I do global government relations, which is why my view is so global. But, you know, you have, you know, China, Japan, South Korea, like their governments are putting a lot of investments and they're having an, a, a digital economy vision. And we want to make sure that the U.S. has that vision as well. And, and the government, I think the government's role is really to collaborate with the private sector, to partner with the private sector and to bring different stakeholders to this huge question mark that it, that it is the, the new digital economy and the Internet of Things. So um, I think that's one of the the, like the big picture from, from digitalization. And also from a gender equality, women empowerment, economic empowerment perspective, I really strongly think that women need to be ahead of you know, what are the latest technology trends and use use technology to your advantage. Like we mentioned different examples on digital healthcare and transportation, but also like in the workforce, you know, there are there's a lot of technologies that most, you know, I'm talking from the corporate perspective, corporations bring to the table. Use those technologies to, you know, connect with others, to share ideas, to you know, make your voice louder. And if you think about the internet, like the internet gives women a huge voice out there. You know, we have social media these days. Uh, it's, it's really the democratization of the internet that's empowering women in, in so many ways. And I think we really need to be ahead of it. And you don't have to go get a STEM degree to do this stuff, right? Like you can watch a video, you can read articles on, you know, TechCrunch and know what are the latest technologies that you can implement in your day-to-day. So I think this is a huge opportunity uh, for the economic empowerment of women. Um, So I'm very, very excited about it. And I really thank you for the opportunity to let me discuss these things that are so close to my heart. (laughs) Terrific. I love ending on women's empowerment. Well, again, thank you, Elizabeth, to our listeners. Thank you for joining us. We got lots of great information about technology. Uh, Definitely continue to follow us, and and, um, we'll be sharing this podcast on our website soon, uh, and we hope that you'll be able to join us for the next podcast. So 
Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And thank you to our listeners. We'll be back again soon. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.